Thank you for joining today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. And thank you for having a desire to be your best at work and helping your organization achieve success. The podcast focuses on tactical actions to improve workplace culture, and these tactics align to our nine principles for organizational excellence. Today, we'll focus on how to handle executive leader sabotage. We'll discuss how you can handle executive leaders who choose to deviate from your strategies. I hope this episode encourages leaders to confront negative attitudes in their executive team. For employees, I hope you gain insight on what should be expected behavior in your company's managerial leaders. Several weeks ago, I was having a cup of coffee with someone, and he asked me this question. How do you handle leaders when they say they are on, they are on board, but they're not? I thought to myself, if he knew that the leader wasn't on board, then probably most all the other people in the organization knows that as well. And I bet the leader's boss or supervisor probably knows it. So I thought about, you know, just thought through situations that I've been connected with. And so let's think about just running through a situation. So let's say there's an executive leader that comes on board and maybe that executive leader has been in the position, senior executive, for a year, maybe a little over a year. And the person was hired to come in to um, establish a new mission and vision and goals and really take the organization in a new strategic direction. And so the senior executive worked with the executive team and others in the organization to create that strategic direction. And at the end of the day and at the end of the time of the planning, they've all agreed as an executive team on the direction that they're going to move forward with. And so let's say that one of the executive leaders um, goes out to her team And when she's engaging with her team, she doesn't have any intention of living out that direction. It may not be totally negative intent. It just may be because she's been part of that organization for a long time. She has a different way of thinking about how the organization could run. She doesn't really want to change the way that she's done that. Um, And maybe she's been very comfortable um, doing the things that she's always done and she believes in it. But the problem is there's a disconnect because the senior executive has talked about the new direction and then there's a team led by um, the leadership, that leader, who isn't really moving forward with that direction. So what happens? So in the next podcast, I'm going to talk about what do you do if you're that team member and you perceive your boss is the problem. But today, I'll talk about that next time, but today I'm going to talk about, you know, what should that executive leader do? Because at the end of the day, it falls within the responsibility of that senior executive. So let's start with, you know, what doesn't work? Here's what I've seen happen. So you've got a senior executive team, a a senior executive ready to, to really move forward with the particular direction As I mentioned, he probably has a sense that it's not moving in the right direction, and so he begins to problem solve. How can I get this moving in the right direction? And so the last thing he probably wants to do is confront the individual uh, leader that reports to him 
So he begins to do what I call these things called workarounds. So instead of confronting that particular leader, he probably begins to think about who can I get on my team that can help me do particular things that we need to get done? Uh, and, you know, how can I just work around this leader? The second thing that I find doesn't work is that just simply what we were talking about, that the, execu- the senior executive just simply doesn't address the negative behavior. You know, so if you think about if you're a parent and you have children or, you know, you were a child at one time and had parents, and we had these things called curfews. And so we would, you know, I know when I was, when I was young, my mom, had, my mom was the one who was the disciplinarian, so she basically told me that I had to be home by midnight. And she always told me that there's nothing good that goes on after midnight. <laughs> so get, come on and, you know, get yourself in the house. And so I had a lot of freedom up until midnight with my friends and, you know, did, did pretty well with that. But my friends, as they grew older, had a curfew of 1230. And so I began thinking that I could stretch my midnight curfew to 1230. And so when I came in, you know, I rationalized that. Well, I, if they can do it, I can do it. And let me just test it a little bit. So when I came in at 1230 or a little bit after 12, if my mom wouldn't have called that to my attention, what would I have continued to do? I would have set my curfew at a new time. And for those of you who are parents, you have that responsibility of making sure that you provide that structure and discipline in ways that continue to build that consistency of practice. But she didn't. She told me that that was not what I was allowed to do, and so I modified my behavior. But if she wouldn't have said anything, then I would have continued the wrong behavior according to the way she had defined what the rule was. So I think what we have to remember is that silence is acceptance. So if we're that senior executive and we're unwilling to address the conflict and we're silent, then we're basically saying that we have accepted the negative behavior. The third thing I've learned that doesn't work is that the executive, the senior executive, begins to defend the leader. And there are all types of reasons. I think this last one is probably the one I see most often. There are all types of reasons that that senior executive may want to defend the leader. First of all, when a new senior executive comes in, there may be somebody that's attached to that organization that has the historical knowledge that you just simply depend on. And so you're so dependent on that historical knowledge and certain practices that's done that you're not willing to rock the boat. And so you really begin to defend that leader, even though you know that leader is not exhibiting the standards or the behaviors that are most important to help people achieve success. The other thing that I've learned just by being that senior executive leader is we get highly attached to the people that we work with every day. So the people that I work most closely with now are those individuals who report to me, for example. And so we have a professional relationship, and in many ways we develop a personal relationship. We get to know each other. We experience things together and in a way that um, is very critical to the work of our organization and to the work of helping us become successful. And when we see that there's 
something that's exhibited that's negative in nature, when I see that from an executive team member, um, or I see that an individual's not achieving results, I can honestly say one of the hardest things that I've had to do in my life is address that behavior with my executive team. And what I also know is if I don't address that behavior, then I'm not being fair to our entire team. And so there are all types of ways that as leaders we want to defend our executive team members, but at the end of the day, we know we're not doing the right thing by doing that. So when does an executive leader hold leaders accountable? You know, what are the things that that leader, let's talk about that new leader, the new leader coming in and been there for a year, you know, what are some of the things that that executive, senior executive can do? So five things. First, set clear, measurable goals. So we depersonalize the work by setting those clear, measurable goals. And what I mean by depersonalize is it's not about whether or not that person is doing something that he or she wants to do. It's about whether or not the person's doing something to help the organization achieve goals. That's very different in terms of the way you think about that. The second thing is define clear expectations for the team members. The third is supporting coach leaders so that they're able to achieve those expectations. Fourth is make sure we recognize when those positive actions and changes are occurring so that we give confidence and acknowledgement to things that are moving in a positive direction. And the last thing which we just talked about is address those noncompliant behaviors. Think back over a positive example of somebody that was a leader of mine, Dean West Little. He was the dean of our college uh, when I was an associate dean. And he, uh, Dr. Northrup and I were great colleagues, early young leaders together, and we always tell this story about Dean Little. Uh, we t- tell it in a very laughing and friendly way. She, he, we had worked together with him to go out and do something very specific, and he had charged us, and we had defined how we were going to go out and execute to whatever we were charged to do. And we had a little different understanding. Uh, Well, I can't say we understood what he wanted us to do. We just, when we left, we decided that we would take a little bit of a deviation, a little bit of a different path um, from what he wanted us to do. And so we executed um, in a way that was a little unfamiliar to him. Uh, That's probably being friendly. So The next day, he asked us to go to lunch with him to his favorite Mexican restaurant in town. And the first thing that he did when we got in the car is he very specifically addressed our behavior. And he did it in a very strong but kind way. And we talked through what that meant. And then we went to lunch. And when we went to lunch, we laughed and we had a good time and we all had a common understanding. So addressing that with us was the right thing to do, and it also helped us change our behavior and understand why we needed to do that. Over time, I've grown as a leader, and I know that some of you are newer to the leaders, newer to leadership positions, and some of you have been in leadership positions for a long time. You know, I, I think years ago I probably had more of a sense of being a leader who would deviate from the path and really now trying to have a good, clear, common conversation and direction toward what we need to do um, to move the organization forward. And so I think what we're talking about is if we're that senior leader, if we go out this week 
Maybe something that we can all ask ourselves is what one thing can we do or stop doing to ensure our leadership team is on board when they say they're on board? Because that's what we're talking about. When our leaders say they are on board, how do we really know they're on board with us? And if you're the people who are carrying out the direction of the organization, maybe ask yourself, what one thing can we do to be on board and stay on board? Because it's a mutual decision between the people who are leading and the people who are taking the direction. Our teams want their leaders to be aligned to the organizational direction. And sometimes I think as leaders, we think that we're, we're basically our team's hero when we're not doing that. But I have found that our teams want us as leaders to be aligned to the organizational direction. They want to know what they do is meaningful so that they're able to achieve results for themselves and for the organization. So when we say we're on board and we mean it, we give them opportunities to be at their best for our organization. Thank you for tuning in to Accelerate Your Performance. I look forward to connecting with you on our next podcast, where we will focus on what you can do if your boss is the problem. Have a great week.